Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome in to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, and it's very, very, very good to be back with you here in the new year. Happy 2023 to everyone out there. It's been a little while since we've been on the podcast. Things were certainly a little hectic getting the 2023 prospect handbook together, but we're back and we are kicking off our Team Top 10 Prospects podcast series, always one of my favorite things I do every offseason. We're kicking it off with a look at the Phillies farm system, and to do that, I'm joined by Chris Trankel. Chris, First and foremost, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Kyle. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Chris, before we dive into the farm system, I, I kind of want to talk about, this feels like a very different vibe about the Phillies, you know, from previous podcasts we've done about them, right? It was for the better part of the last couple of years, we talk about the big league team and how they had some star power, but it was a disappointing season. And he looked at the farm system and it was kind of like, okay, there's not a lot coming. What should they do? I feel like we had that same podcast like three or four years in a row. And then this year, everything, or I shouldn't say this year, last year, 2022, everything completely changed. The Phillies made the postseason for the first time since 2011, went on a Cinderella run to the World Series uh, where they ultimately lost the Astros, but it was a fantastic run. Uh, I covered them throughout the NLCS and then into the World Series as, as well. So on the one hand, the team broke through at the big league level, winning a National League pennant. And on the farm system side, we saw Andrew Painter turn himself into one of the very, very best, not just pitching prospects in baseball, but prospects in baseball, period. Um, it just was like a very different feeling around the Phillies now. We went from so many years of disappointment at the major league level, questions about the farm system, to they're the defending NL champs, and they've got one of the best prospects in the game. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, it's clear that this team now has a window of, to compete in. Uh, they've looked like they've nailed their first round draft picks from the last few years with Mick Abel, Andrew Painter, as you noted, one of the top prospects in baseball and Justin Crawford, who's another intriguing talent that they took in 2022. And, you know, it's really interesting to see how they don't have one of the deeper farm systems in baseball by, by any means, but they were still able to get enough talent to supplement their big league roster, trading away a guy like Logan O'Hoppe uh, to get Brandon Marsh, a center fielder who they desperately needed, uh, you know, trading away Ben Brown to get David Robertson to supplement their bullpen from the Cubs. And this is a team right now that looks like it's ready to compete for the next five or so years with guys like Bryce Harper. They added Trey Turner and Taiwan Walker. And this is a really dangerous team in a really fun division right now. You know, it's interesting you mentioned them hitting on their first round picks. That's a really key part of this because for a long time we saw the Phillies 
you know, I shouldn't say a long time. They tried to rebuild. It didn't work. Then they started throwing a lot of money around at free agents. And while a lot of them performed, didn't have the supplementary, the complementary pieces, the depth needed to really put together a winning team over a full 162-game season. We saw that at the bottom of their lineup. We saw at the back of their rotation. We saw it in their bullpen. Um, but one of the more interesting developments for me last year was you're starting to now see some homegrown Phillies players contribute. I mean, you look at it. Their left side of the infield for their World Series team was homegrown. It was two first-round picks, Bryson Stott and Alec Bohm. And while certainly neither of them were maybe, you know, impact, impact players to the level of some of their free agent stars, they were starters on a World Series team. And for a long time, I mean, the Phillies draft picks, I mean, let's just can't really pull punches. It was awful. It was really, really, really bad. It was miss pick after miss pick after miss pick, especially at the top of the first round. You know, they had that great 2014 draft getting Aaron Nolan, Reese Hoskins. Then that run of Cornelius Randolph, Mickey Moniak, Adam Hazley all in the first round. It, it set them back. Even before that, you had picks like Anthony Hewitt, Joe Savory, you know, Shane Watson, Larry Green. I mean, just a lot of these top picks, they just kept missing and missing and missing. And it really did hurt them and didn't give them, again, the, the depth or complementary players needed to succeed over the course of a long season. And they're starting to hit on them again. Alec Bohm, Bryson Stott, you know, their first round picks 2018, 2019. It's the starting left side of their infield in the World Series. Now you add guys like Abel and Painter, two of the better pitching prospects in the game. You're seeing that. And even internationally, you know, for a long time, they spent a lot of money internationally, had very little to show for it. I think about the Jalen Ortiz's of the world. But we saw Ranger Suarez and Stanley Dominguez, guys who took a little while. It was a long road for them. But again, they were able to make an impact on a World Series team. And all of a sudden, yes, you see Bryce Harper and Zach Wheeler and, and all these stars they paid a lot of money to acquire, Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos doing the heavy lifting. But they wouldn't have been where they are without Bohm, without Stott, without Suarez, without Dominguez. So for the first time in a while, you're actually starting to see the Phillies get some homegrown contributions. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right with that. Another guy uh, who I would would highlight is Bailey Falter, who really provided them with some good innings as you know a spot starter and, and long relief and things of that nature. And yeah, they really have done a good job with these guys. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what role Bryson Stott takes this year with obviously the addition of Trey Turner. But Alec Boehm, I think, was probably a guy that was sort of in the doghouse with Phillies fans coming into <laughs> last year. And, and you know, he played a lot a lot better last year. And they have just done a really good job of, of putting these pieces together and getting just enough from these homegrown guys to be able to land the big fish. And it looks like they're going to be really competitive for, for a long period of time because of that. Yeah, for a long time, it was Aaron Nola, Reese Hoskins, and not a lot else in terms of homegrown development. And, and now we're starting to see it come to fruition, which you add to that uh, that star-laden core they have, as we talked about, you know, Harper signing Trey Turner this offseason. Um, they appear to be in good shape. And, and Bryson Stott sliding over to second, with Segura now gone, and, and Trey Turner taking over at short. Um, this, this looks like it's going to be a really good team, of course, Health is a big factor here, but and you also mentioned having the trade ammunition uh, as we dive into this farm system. Um, you know, this is not the deepest farm system, as you've mentioned. This is not a farm system that is overwhelmingly stacked. But again, it's kind of for the right reasons we've talked about. They've graduated in recent years. Alec Bohm, Bryson Stott, Ranger Suarez, Sir Anthony Dominguez, all guys who were top 10 prospects in the system. Even a guy like Matt Veerling, who, you know, by, was just traded to the Tigers. But, hey, he started a pair of World Series games for the Phillies. Um, he's a homegrown guy who had been top 10s before. So they've graduated a lot of guys and, and traded others. You mentioned Logan Ohapi. You mentioned a Ben Brown. So while the system is not stacked by any means, it's – 
for the right reasons, which again, it's just so fine to me because I feel like this is the exact opposite of everything we've been saying about the Phillies for the last five years. It really is remarkable how 2022, just how everything really shifted in terms of just their success rates and, and what their future outlook is. Sure. I think it just goes to show that if you are able to nail these draft picks, it really just changes the outlook of your farm system completely. A guy like Mick Abel, you know, at the top of the first round, someone like Andrew Baker, who the team was able to take out of Juco as a later round pick, uh, Andrew Painter, obviously, in, in 2021. And these are all guys who have, were able to really help out the farm system and make the system stronger. Logan O'Hoppy, he was, a, I believe, an 18th round pick. And he was a guy who was able to, you know, end up being a top 100 prospect and get them a position that they really needed uh, in, in Brandon Marsh. So it just goes to show that the there is very little margin for error in the draft, but the difference between swinging and missing and nailing these guys can completely change your franchise's outlook for, for years to come. Yeah, and they certainly appear to be nailing it. And that leads us into Andrew Painter, who a lot of people felt was the top pitching prospect in the 2021 draft. There was some debate between him and Jackson Job. Job obviously went higher, but you could find some evaluators out there who told you they preferred Painter. Um, and there was definitely a sense, even at the time, that the Phillies might have gotten a steal getting him as low as they did. Again, the risk of high school right-handers played a part in that. Um, but Andrew Painter this year, what he came out and did was just frankly, I mean, jaw dropping. So, I mean, just the pure numbers, you know, kid, a high school pitcher in his first professional season, first full professional season, I should say, goes to double A, has a 1.56 ERA, strikes out 155 batters to only 25 walks. And I thought also it was important. He pitched 103 innings, which for a, a high school pitcher in his first year out, that's pretty remarkable. We see a lot of teams kind of babying guys, especially the teenage arms, giving them 60, 70 innings. This was a guy who was pitching deep into games late in the season. Six of his final eight starts, he went at least six innings, had three seven-inning starts in that stretch there to end the year. This is a guy who got better and better as the year went on, got stronger. I mean, you look at stuff, size, durability, how fast he's moving. As I mentioned, this is one of the top three pitching prospects in baseball. Um, by any measure, he might be number one and one of really the, the top prospects in baseball overall. What was the key to Andrew Painter's success this year? And then just based on your discussion with Phillies officials and opposing scouts, how much were they even blown away by what he did? Well, I think what was really interesting for me was beginning to speak with people in the organization and outside of the organization uh, at the beginning of the 2022 season, you're asking, you know, it's, it's Abel number one, Painter number two, and you're hearing, uh, I don't know, it's pretty close for us. And this was really early in the season. So this is before he goes out and just completely destroys the minor leagues. Uh, and as the year went on, a lot of the things that you kept hearing was the poise, the maturity, you know, the repeatability in his delivery, the athleticism. These are all things that are are so, so rare, especially for a, a high school pitching prospect who was in the draft one year before. And I think that really is what stands out above just the pure stuff, which is obviously explosive, is all the intangibles that he has, the maturity beyond his years. And, you know, he's also got some of the best control in the minor leagues, too. And I think that's just another huge factor. This guy is able to just get his stuff in any count that he wants. He's able to stay poised within a game and he's able to really go out and have some and longer starts as well. So I think that's the biggest thing is as much as the, 
the explosiveness of the offerings is all the intangibles that go along with it. Yeah, you mentioned that explosiveness. Um, you just pull up a video and it's it's wow when you watch him pitch. And and you mentioned, you know, kind of that poison maturity. That to me is really the separator when you look at him, is is there are a lot of guys out there who have big stuff, but especially six foot seven teenagers, big stuff, but they don't really know where it's going. They don't really know how to use it. And a lot of times they kind of blow it out for four innings and they kind of bow out. And you're right. I mean, we talk about that 155 strikeouts to 25 walks and getting up to double A. I mean, he was pitching against guys who have some idea of the strike zone and understanding what pitches to swing at. It's not like he was, you know, doing this all in low A where guys will kind of swing at anything. Um, it's just remarkable. Again, seeing the numbers on paper, watching it with your own eyes. And again, I just go back to, you know, we talk so much about, you know, aces and is someone a number one or a number two? Well, aces go six, seven, eight innings. Their aces are the guys who you can give them the ball and say, go out and win us this game, you know, give the bullpen a breather. You can do that. And there's not a ton of guys who can really do that anymore. They exist, but there's not many of them. And when you have one, it's really special. And I think for me, you know, seeing Painter consistently give you six, seven innings at the end of the year when he would have had every reason to kind of be tired or back it off a little bit or maybe shut down. He was pitching deeper. He was getting better. He was getting stronger. And to me, it was kind of the sign of a true ace. And I think that's what's so special here is, you know, this is just a guy with big stuff, who's a big body with big stuff. I mean, it, it's everything you want to see. And, and that kind of leads me into, I mean, is it number one starter projections? Is it number two starter projections? I mean, how good can this guy be based off your reporting? I think it's definitely number one starter projections. As you said, uh, a guy who's able to go this deep into games, especially at the end of the year, seeing the way that his stuff was able to hold out over his first full minor league season. I, I mean, you don't see this very often. And I think everybody that you talk to just raves about the guy. I was hearing, you know, by the middle of the season, he's top five pitching prospect in, in baseball. And it just continued to get better from there. You know, the fact that he was able to go to double A and have some of his best performances at the end of the season, he's so much younger than the competition at that level. I don't see how you, you can't project this guy as an ace at the major league level and someone who really gives the Phillies one of the most dangerous rotations in baseball in the next couple of years when you talk about him, assuming that they re-sign Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, and Taiwan Walker and Rangers Suarez. I mean, he's a guy who fits right up there at the top with a Zach Wheeler because of this combination of, of poise, maturity, explosive stuff, and the ability to have it go over the course of a seven innings, eight inning start. And it really just is a luxury for any team to have. So with that, obviously, he's a very, very special pitching prospect, but pitching prospects are notoriously fickle. Um, a lot of guys who look like they could be number ones, you know, something, you know, goes sideways in development. I think about him and Kenzie Gore. I think about a Forrest Whitley guys who are every bit as touted and um, just, you know, something somewhere kind of didn't quite go the way it was hoped. What are still the main things he needs to work on? Because as talented as he is, he's still a teenager in the minors with things to work on. Well, I think the biggest thing with him is just showing that he can continue to hold up over the, the course of the next few seasons and seeing his workload, seeing the way that guys, you know, adjust to him as he faces uh, more more batters at double A AA and triple A. I think that's really the most important thing is seeing how he is able to deal with the adjustments that that hitters make against him. Uh, you know, everything is there for him to succeed. But as you said, 
you've seen a lot of great pitching prospects that have reached these levels and, you know, whether it be injury or, or anything, they haven't been able to fully uh, get the most out of their potential. So I think the biggest thing for him is, is really just being able to show that he can make these adjustments and show that he can continue to, to grow at, through the course of the season moving forward. Yeah, he's certainly a special, special talent, someone that's uh, going to be very exciting to watch moving forward. Chris, you mentioned at the start of last year, there was a debate between Mick Abel, Andrew Painter, who's number one. Andrew Painter really just ran away with it. And that's not anything Mick Abel did wrong. That's just Andrew Painter doing what he did, being as imp impressive as he was. Um, so Painter was the clear-cut number one. Abel, still number two in the system, uh, top 100 prospect, uh, had a, a good year as well, got up to double A as, as a 20-year-old, still a very young kid, still growing into his body and developing. What did he do this year in terms of just his development that, you know, has him still considered a, a really top prospect? And, you know, what are some of the other things that that maybe are kind of his next steps moving forward? Sure. So I, I would say the biggest thing that the officials were uh, really encouraged by was they thought that he was starting to throw more consistent strikes, which was something that was really an issue, I think, in, in his debut season in 2021. And I think the other thing was just being able to stay healthy and go uh, pitch more innings over the course of the year. Obviously, he wasn't able to pitch a full 2021 season. But I, I think it really just goes to show he, he's on a pretty normal development path for, for a high school arm two years out of high school. You could even say that he's on a, a bit of a quicker path. It just shows you how special Andrew Painter is that he was able to do what he did. Um, I think some of the things that Mick Abel, you know, still has to work on, his breaking balls tend to blend together at times. I know that's an area of emphasis that, that the team really wants him to focus on. And he saw a little bit more consistency with his slider uh, towards the end of the year, but that's something that he really needs to work on is, is getting that shape back and that consistency back with the pitch. And then obviously, you know, for a guy that has the kind of explosive stuff that he does, you know, lower level hitters are, he's doing them a favor by throwing them a changeup, but that's something that, that, that he has to have hammered home. You know, you still have to work on the changeup even though you can blow the fastball by him, get the slider by him, you have to keep using that changeup and, and ironing out that pitch. So I would say that's really just the consistency of his off-speed offerings is the biggest thing and continuing to throw consistent strikes and show that he can hold up as, as the year goes on. Yeah, what are his projections now? Is he more in that number two bucket, that number three bucket, based on you know going out, getting to double A, pitching a full season? How is he seen now? You know, I think he's more of a number three type starter, a guy who can really be a, a pretty good pitcher at the major league level, but he's probably not the ace of a staff. He's not maybe a number two guy. He's a guy who's going to put up a 350 to 4 ERA over the course of a season, and he fits in well in, in the middle of a rotation, gives you quality innings, and he'll go through some stretches where he's red hot. I think that's more of an accurate projection for him at this point. Hey. Every team needs good number three starters, especially championship caliber teams, as we see every year. So that would be a, a certainly a really, really good outcome. Chris, in the past, at times it has seemed like, you know, there's only one or two guys at a time in this system that you can get really excited about. Um, it's just the nature of, of the Phillies and kind of where they've been. But two guys in particular start to take off, uh, Griff McGarry and Ben Brown. I remember having a conversation with an opposing pro scouting director who said, you know, we felt like these were two guys who weren't on most people's top 100s, but we felt like they had become 
two of the top 100 prospects in the game. They felt like they had taken that jump to be top 100 prospects. Griff McGarry eventually did make it onto the top 100 for us. Uh, ben Brown got traded. He's not too terribly far off. Um, but McGarry, you know, his rise has been really, really kind of one of the more fun developments for the Phillies, especially when you consider, again, we talk about homegrown guys who maybe weren't, you know, top, top picks. Yeah, I mean, he was a fifth round pick in, in 2021, not by any means a, a top, top dude. And he's just taken off. Exactly. You know, I think uh, if you look at the pure stuff, he would have been someone who profiles easily as a first round pick. But it was the concerns with his strike throwing as a guy who averaged nine walks per nine innings in his career at Virginia. So you're really taking a chance on a guy there in the fifth round who has the stuff, but you're never sure if it's going to be able to do anything or if he's going to just end up being a more of a fill-in reliever at, at, in the minor leagues. But I think what they were able to do with him is, is get him have a more repeatable delivery to be able to throw more consistent strikes. Obviously, you know, the walk rate isn't great, but from where it was in college, that's a humongous improvement for him. And then when you stack up to how electric his arsenal is, it stacks up very well against anybody else in the system. You know, we're talking about a great fastball tops out at 99. He added a cutter this year in the high 80s, had about just under 50% whiff rate in 2022, a plus slider, above average changeup. He still throws a, a curveball as well. So he has a full arsenal of pitches, almost all of which play at a very high level. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing with him is just continuing to have a repeatable delivery and throw more consistent strikes. But at the very least, the Phillies have a guy who can be a lockdown closer at the back of a bullpen, and that's huge. Yeah, if you get two quality starters, a number one, a number three, and a lockdown closer out of your top three prospects, that's a, a great outcome. And again, just speaks to where this Phillies farm system is and just how much brighter the future looks, even from, you know, compared to a year or two ago. All right, Chris, those are the three guys who are in our top 100 and are pretty clearly the top three guys in the system in that order. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into the rest of this top 10 and how it all stacks up. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
All right, we are back here breaking down the Phillies top 10 prospects. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined by Chris Trankel, who has done the Phillies top 10 for us for uh, a number of years. Chris, how many years has it been now? So this will be my third complete year in having the system. Okay. Yeah, no. So, I mean, even just those three years, you've seen the turnaround we've talked about. And we talked before the break about the three pitching prospects atop the system, all of whom are in the top 100, Andrew Painter, Mick Abel, and Griff McGarry. Putting this list together is pretty clear cut that those were the top three in that order. Then you move into this kind of this next group, four to 10, and, and there is a drop off. Um, number four, Justin Crawford, their first round pick last year. I do want to talk about him for a second. Um, Carl Crawford's son, you know, very well known on the showcase circuit. I saw him a bunch. I think anyone who was, you know, doing some draft stuff saw him a bunch. He was playing at all the major events and obviously his name and his bloodlines got him a lot of attention, as did his ability. Um, he's someone that a lot of people thought was really one of the better high school players in the draft. The Phillies got him in the first round this year. Um, was he pretty clearly number four in the system just based on your discussions with evaluators? And and then what do the Phillies have with him? Yeah, he was a very clear-cut choice at number four. Uh, when you just talk about the bloodlines mixed with the the tools there, it's it's an exciting combination. We're talking about a guy who has the chance to be an above-average hitter. When you project out four or five years from now, he's a very good defender already in center field. He's very quick, uh, and he's got a solid arm. And there's really doesn't seem to be any sort of debate on whether or not he can stick in center field. He seems to be a clear-cut center fielder defensively. I think the one thing that he's lacking is much power right now, but you know, he's, he's young, he's six foot three hundred seventy five pounds. So he has a lot of room to, to add some strength onto his frame, but the Phillies really feel like they got a guy who, who can, you know, be a potential big league starting center fielder. And I think that is what put him above Johan Rojas and how you lead within the system is that kind of potential, which is, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, you know, he was uh, at Bishop Gorman High School in Las Vegas, and, and there were a lot of people, you know, West Coast cross-checkers, who felt like he had a case as, as maybe the best position player out West in terms of draft-eligible prospects, just the combination of, again, his speed, his athleticism, his tools, and he needs to add strength, as you mentioned, um, you know, not just for, for power in terms of home runs, but just impacting the baseball, but um, he's got a couple of years to do that. So he's not probably going to be a quick riser. It's going to be a few years of, of strength gains for him, but – Certainly a guy who's very talented, and, and you see the ability level there. Chris, I, I do feel like there is a bit of a drop-off once you get past number four, and, and we've talked about you know those top three guys and then Justin Crawford maybe being a, a starting center fielder in the major leagues. You mentioned at the top of the show this is not the deepest farm system, and from the outside looking in, it does seem like this is where the drop-off is at, after number four. Um, just to kind of put it bluntly, does anyone – after number four in the system project to be a, a starter in the big leagues, or is, is it more reserve utility types, you know, contributor types? I think the most part it does project as more as utility reserve types uh, moving forward. You know, Johan Rojas is one of the best defensive center fielders in the minor leagues, but he hasn't been able to add much of anything offensively to this point, uh, which is really what's holding him back there. He's a big threat on the base path, but you know, someone who's hitting uh, 240 at, at high A, he was able to hit 305 in the Eastern League in his last 25 games, which is really encouraging. But we just haven't seen that consistency offensively from him to, to project out much more. I would say the one guy who, who does have the best chance of being a, a starter at the big league level is Howie Lee, who 
we have number six on the Phillies top 10 list. Uh, they signed him out of Taiwan in, in 2021, and he's really an impressive hitter. Uh, he shows above average barrel awareness, above average bat to ball skills, but he's still only 19 years old. He still only had one full season at the, at the minor league level. Most have spent at low A. Uh, he was a Florida State League All-Star, so obviously he's shown a lot already in his time in the minor leagues, but he's going to have to work on defensively being able to hold up at second base and add some more power as well. But he would be the one guy who I think has the best chance of becoming an above-average uh, or an average uh, everyday regular in the big leagues. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, he was named the best batting prospect by league managers in the Florida State League. And we went back and looked at, you know, years and years and years of our best tools data. And the prospects were named best batting prospect winning that category. It's a pretty good track record, which, again, intuitively makes sense. You know, if you can hit, that's what's going to get you to the big leagues and keep you there. And, um, you know, being named the single best batting prospect in the league by opposing managers it does indicate the ability that's in there and obviously he's far away, but um, he's one of the more intriguing guys. You know, we named him to our classification all-stars for the level as well. So, you know, if it all works out, is it you know, batting average, you know, high average, moderate power, second baseman? Is that what we're looking at? If it all pans out? Exactly. I think it's a, a bat for second baseman, maybe hit, you know, 10 to 12 home runs, but he's a guy who fits in well in like a number two hole in a lineup and, because of his strikes and awareness, because of his, you know, bat to ball skills, he can really help a club there. But there are some concerns with his defense. So he's always going to be more of a bat first player. So with that, and given the lack of depth in the system, you know, again, we talked about, you know, four was very clear, you know, five and six to a degree as well. Um, once you got past that group, you know, how many guys were in the mix here to be in the, in the top 10? Well, I'd say there was a number of guys, you know, just looking outside of the top 10, someone like Alex McFarland, who they drafted in, in 2022 out of Miami. Uh, he was someone who did not show the ability to start over a full year, but like Griff McGarry, he has a pretty potent pitch. Um, when you look at his high spin slider, fastball up to 98, and, and a uh, promising changeup as well, you know, he was someone who, who factored in and just was off the initial top 10. And then someone like Andrew Baker, who has a fastball-curveball combination that's one of the better uh, combos in the minor leagues, 62% whiff rate on his curveball in 2022. Those were two guys who really could have snuck on to the back of the top 10. And Andrew Baker specifically is someone who could potentially help the Phillies in another playoff run at the end of 2023. Yeah, Andrew Baker is an interesting guy that I remember getting his name from some scouts on the backfields before last year. Um, just, you know, hey, this is this is a guy to watch that could really pop and certainly an interesting arm. Are, are there any other guys, you know, deep sleepers in the system, guys that maybe you could see really taking a jump, you know, this time next year we could be talking about in the top 10? Sure. Well, I think the, the biggest one would be William Bergoya Jr., uh, obviously a son of a, a former big leaguer, uh, played 17 games for the Reds in 2005, but he received a huge signing um, in the 2021-22 class, and then last year he, he spent the season in the DSL as a 17-year-old. You know, he posted some really good numbers, especially for his age at the level, and he showed some some play awareness. He's a smooth defender at shortstop. He looks like a natural shortstop with a strong arm, good instincts, and he has the potential to have an above-average bat. You know, moving forward, 
So he looks like someone who could really break out in his first season. I would imagine in his first season stateside, I would imagine he would spend almost all of it um, in the Florida Complex League. But I think he's someone when you get a couple years down the line, who looks like he should be an easy top 10 and top 10 player in the system. Yeah, certainly going to be one of those guys to watch. Chris, as we just get set to wrap up here, any final thoughts on the Phillies farm system and just kind of where it is and where it's going? Sure. Well, I think if you look at the last few years in the draft, it's certainly heading in the right direction. You know, we, we pointed out some of the failures that uh, they had in the mid-2010s and drafting in the first round, but you've seen that this specific group is doing a better job of scouting and developing talent. So I think the future is or is brighter now uh, looking at the system and it'll be important that they just continue to hit these draft picks and get the kind of talent to supplement the big league roster so that they're able to to get some of these bigger stars and really keep this window going for the next 10 years. I do want to ask, they brought in Preston Mattingly from the Padres to be their new farm director. What impact has that had, if any, just on this player development system from your vantage point based on your reporting? Uh, I think it's it's had a really big impact. I think the way that they've managed to identify arms that they've really wanted to go after and, and hammer that home. And I think the biggest thing now that, that Mattingly and the rest of the regime has to look at is just getting more of these impact bats to supplement the system. But if you just look at, at what they've done with the pitchers in the system, I think it's made a huge impact. And then obviously from here, you just have to be able to supplement it with more of these corner bats, with more of these guys that are able to really give them more impact ability at the top of the system from an offensive standpoint. And the good news is uh, they have some time to do that because the major league team is certainly not hurting for guys with impact bats in any way, shape or form right now. And a lot of those guys are signed for at least the next uh, three years or so, you know, Schwarber, Castellanos, and then obviously Harper is signed for many, many, many years to come. They re-signed JT Real Muto. So, uh, this is a team that's certainly not hurting for bats. There's going to be some arms that are going to come up and help supplement. And Lord knows you can never have too much pitching. And in the meantime, we'll see if uh, Justin Crawford can be the first of the uh, potential impact young hitters they can develop. And we'll see what else they're able to add to the system for the draft or national free agency trades and the like. But in the meantime, Chris, I got to say, again, I just I know I keep repeating this, but it just keeps making me chuckle. We're talking about the Phillies as this bright future where everything looks great. And it's just such a turnaround. And um, it's cool to see Philly's a great baseball town. We saw that during the postseason and, you know, how into that team the crowds were and then the city was being around there during the World Series is pretty exciting. So I think it's great when a city as passionate as Philadelphia has a winner to root for and they should have one for a few years to come. Yeah, absolutely. I, I got to say, it's been nice to be on this podcast and actually uh, have a lot more to, to talk about you with that's positive. So uh, that's a great start for us right here. <laughs> absolutely. It's a great way to start off our uh, team top 10 prospect series. With that, we're going to wrap this one up for Chris Trankel. I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Chris, I'm Kyle. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Thank you.